Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, so one of the things you see are clear from the Scriptures is that we are a people created to worship the true and living God. God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and He created them as true worshipers. And every man, woman, and child must worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? It's by true faith that we worship the true and living God. Apart from true faith, man still is a worshiper, but he worships the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And so, when Adam fell and Eve fell in the garden, man became an idolater. Man became a worshiper of the creature rather than the Creator, and he's been doing so ever since. He has been worshiping his money, his possessions. He has been worshiping himself. He is one who determines what it is that he will give worship towards. And yet, God calls us to be those that worship him and him alone. And everything other than worship of the true and living God is idolatry. So this is what the fall has brought us. A bunch of creature worshipers. But then in redemption, God brings us back to himself. He reorients He is the one who recalibrates our minds. And so we recognize that God alone is to be worshipped. And everything else is to be spurned. Everything else is to be cast off. We are to run from every other type of worship but the worship of God. We are to be those that faithfully and diligently worship. And the more that we're sanctified by the grace in Christ Jesus, but the working of the Holy Spirit... And we become more and more like Jesus. The delight and the desire to worship will increase. It will not decrease. If your worship is decreasing. If you're having less of a desire to gather amongst the people of God. To exalt in the name of Jesus. You have to ask the question of whether or not you are truly in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ and being conformed to His image, you're not going to have a decrease of desire to worship. You're going to have an increase in desire to worship. You're not going to have a decrease in reading and studying and cultivating the Scriptures in your life. You're going to have an increase in reading and studying and cultivating God's Word in your life. You're not going to have a decrease of obedience. You're going to have an increase of obedience. You're going to have a delight to obey the true and living God. It's going to be your meat and your drink, as Jesus said, to do the will of your Father in heaven. That's what it means as we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So then as we are sanctified, growing in grace, in Christ's likeness, we are going to desire to worship God more and more only as He has revealed Himself to us In His Word. We're going to put away from us the whims and desires and the personal preferences with regards to worship. And we are going to submit to the teaching of God's Word. We're going to strive for that. We're going to speak this truth to our own heart so that we don't fall into idolatry. Because, beloved, we have no idea how to worship God except for what He has revealed to us in His Word. And the one who says that they can worship God simply because they're sincere or they're genuine is a fool. 
We are to worship God only as He has revealed to us in His Word and in no other way. That means that no other way of approaching God is acceptable but as He has revealed to us in His Word. That is so hard to get across in the minds of people. Especially, I think, in the United States where we're free will and free thinkers wanting to do our own thing. And so we think we can approach God in any old way. And yet we are not those that are reading the book. Because you find in Scripture that you cannot approach God any way that you want. It's even being sincere and genuine. You could uh, then suffer the wrath of God. It breaks out against you in your worship that is false worship. It's truly idol worship. It's idol worship because it's you in your own mind thinking how you would like to worship God. And so we need to remind ourselves again and again. You know, this cultivating God's word in our mind, it's not a been there, done that. It's not a one-time event. And if you don't have the desire, if you don't have any desire for the word of God, you're not a Christian. Did anybody misunderstand that? I didn't say if your desire is little. I said if you have no desire for the Word of God, you are not a Christian. You're not born again. That will be seen, whether or not you have a desire, is that you will open up the book. You will read God's Word. You will listen to God's Word. You will hear God's Word. Whether you get it through the ear gate or the eye gate or through both. It's indifferent. You're ingesting the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is making those substantive changes within your soul. And so you are thinking more and more God's thoughts after Him. If there is no desire at all in the soul for the Word, you're not, uh, you're not a redeemed individual. You are still dead in your trespasses and sins. And you are deceiving yourself, thinking that because you're a member of Hope Reformed Church, you're in the kingdom of God. Now that may irritate some of you. Good. Reflect upon that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians as well, to examine your hearts. To know whether or not you are in Christ. Whether the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. And if He doesn't dwell in you, then you are not His. We are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 6. We have been bought with a price, and therefore we are called to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which belong to God. And there are many that are deceived in the life of the church today. One, because ministers don't stand up and speak the truth. Because people will get angry and they'll leave and they're all about numbers and so they're afraid of that. And then people are damned through the church. Thinking, oh, you can go on just doing what you do, being who you are. It doesn't matter. God accepts you because you were baptized and you're a member of the church. But you're not born of the Spirit of God. You have no hunger and thirst for the things of Christ. Tell tale in your own life. Of how much you exercise yourself in the things of God. Some of you, you do bare minimal. It's almost like the thinking goes on. 
how much do I have to do? I mean, what's the least I have to put in and still be a member of the congregation? Why would you think that way? Why would you not cultivate the things of God in your life? Why wouldn't you just rejoice in the fellowship of the saints? The ministry of the Word, the gathering together, the opportunities that we have to have the Word of God minister to us. Why would you not think that way? Because that's foreign to you. Why is that foreign to you? Look, your paradigm of bare minimal is not what the Scriptures teach. So, yes, you ought to be concerned about your spiritual life and whether or not Christ dwells within you. So, these are things that the Scriptures call us to reflect upon. Self-reflection. And that's what you find when you come to the Psalms. Psalms are self-reflective. David is reflecting here in speaking to himself. He's doing heart work. We all need to do the heart work. We all need to come to the Word of God that the Spirit of God might do that work within our heart. But beloved, if we're not subjecting ourselves, if we're not bringing ourselves under the ministry of the Word, hearing the Word, looking, reading the Word, cultivating, meditating upon the Word of God, how's that going to happen? It's not going to happen. And you're going to be the same old person. No growth in grace. And that growth in grace is not the arm lengthening but the knees bending in humility. Because you know you've broken all the commandments of God. And you know of yourself, you're worthy and deserving of damnation. You've come into contact with the true and living God. And you abhor yourself in dust and ashes. We don't find that much today. We find a casual approach to the true and living God. You don't find that in Scripture. You find Moses taking off his sandals because he is on holy ground. You find Joshua when he's dealing with the commander of the Lord's army, taking off his sandals because he is on holy ground. But we come nonchalant, we come casually. We don't really come today with a a zealous spirit of worship of the true and living God, of recognizing who it is that we're worshiping. This one is the one upon whom I will look. The one who trembles at my word. He is contrite in his heart. There is a trembling. There is a zeal for the things of God. The church of Jesus Christ has lost that. There is too much, way too much of a casual approach. Look, I mean, just just look at how we behave, right? We, We come to worship in casual clothing, but we go to a job interview in a suit. Tell me something isn't wrong with the way we think. Sometimes, and I've been in congregations, where the people look like they just came from the beach. Now, I don't want to get into all the clothing and things, but... You err on the other side in just saying, it doesn't matter at all how I present myself. Sure it does. How you dress is a reflection of you. How you dress is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. Women, if you wear skirts that are way too short, it's reflecting something that's going on in your heart and your view of God. Some of you ladies may not like that. Well, you know what? Take it up with the Lord. Because as you think in your heart... Uh, So is a man. It's reflective. So, 
we are to be a people that is reflective. This here, Psalm 103, is a psalm where David speaks to himself. Notice it's a psalm of David. Again, as I said before, the titles of the psalm are inspired as well. How would you know unless the psalmist himself or it was supplied for us uh, by one of the writers that this is the psalm of David? How would you know whether or not David wrote the psalm? David didn't write all the psalms. We have David, he probably wrote about 73 of the psalms. You have uh, Ezra, the, or Ethan, the Ezraite. You have Heman, Solomon. They wrote two of the psalms. You have the sons of Korah. They wrote about 12 or so. You have the sons of, uh, um, I already said that. You have Asaph. Is, he wrote about 10 or so, 12. And then there's others that are not named. We don't know. Look at Psalm 104. There is no name given of who wrote that psalm. So David wrote the majority. He wrote almost half of the psalms. And uh, he also, as you find in the New Testament, it's quoted about 75 times in the New Testament, the, the Psalms. So it had great significance in the life of the church. It was basically the hymn book of the old covenant people. And so it is for us as well. Many people will know the Psalms. They won't know much else than the Psalms, but they'll know many of the Psalms. You need all of God's word will be deficient if we only have one portion. We need all the 66 books that God has given to us. But the Psalms are that which we resonate to. The Psalms are what we identify with. You know, when I read for the call to worship this morning, Psalm 40, I identify with that. I know that God has brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. I know that He has rescued me. That he is the one who has redeemed me. I know that I was on the broad road that leads to destruction. And it was God who redeemed me sovereignly. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't looking for anything of the things of God. It was God in his goodness, in his mercy, in his sovereign grace, redeemed me, translated me from darkness into the marvelous light. And so when I read that, uh, I can really resonate with that. I really understand, I can reflect upon that, and I can hear the heart cry of the psalmist. And it really affects us in that way. We don't feel as alone in the Christian life when I read it, because I read often the things of Scripture and say, well, I'm glad I'm not the only idiot. I'm glad I'm not the only stupid one. I'm glad I'm not the only sinful person. This is what you find with the psalms. So, it is, a, it is a good thing to go to the, the reading of the Psalms, the, the ministry, the teaching of the Psalms. And God put them there, as Calvin said, as an anatomy of the soul. For every occasion, no matter what it is, what you're going through, you're going to find something of one of the psalmists that went through or is going, that went through what you are going through right now. The dark night of the soul, read Psalm 88. Are you concerned about your shepherd? Are you one who is established in the fact that Christ will always care for his sheep? Psalm 23. Are you one wanting to study the things of the Lord? Psalm 104, Psalm 102. They are to be studied by the people of God. Are you one who is a godly man? And what am I to reflect on? It's the law of the Lord is my meditation all the day long. The triumphal king. God has set his king on his holy hill of Zion. 
And He will not be overthrown, Psalm 2. And so, beloved, we find it all throughout the Psalms that it ministers to our souls. And this is what we find here. Notice verse 1. Bless the Lord. You can stop right there. Bless. It comes from a root word which means to kneel. Now tell me that is an adoration. Tell me that that isn't faithful, diligent, zealous, God-fearing worship. He comes and He kneels before the Lord. He's coming in worship. He's coming in prayer. He's coming as He speaks to Himself, telling Himself how He is to worship God. Bless the Lord. Kneel down to your Maker. That's David speaking this to his own soul. And beloved, that's how we train the mind, isn't it? We speak to ourselves the things of God. Too often, you allow your heart to speak. What we need is the Word of God spoken to the heart. That's what brings the calm to the soul of the believer, is to reflect upon, is to rehearse, is to constantly bring in God's Word to your mind. That will give you comfort. And so David is exhorting himself to bless the Lord, O my soul. It's an inward reflection. It's an inward speaking, speaking to himself. All right. So the Lord is the eternal one, is Jehovah, the self-existent one, the say God, the one who needs nothing outside of himself. I, I've heard this before. God created man because he was lonely. But you, you're crazy. People that say that don't know the teaching of God's word. God is never lonely. Well, God had needed fellowship. God doesn't need. He doesn't need us. We are created for His glory, to express His glory, to exalt His glory, to magnify His glory to all of creation. Adam and Eve were originally created so that you could look at Adam and know what God was like by Adam's behavior, by the way that he thinks. We have fallen from that, but we are, we, we are being restored to that. Jesus had said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, you know I like to make the distinctions between the divine nature and the human nature. And Jesus is speaking about his human nature. He is speaking about all the characteristics in his life as a godly man. They reflect the character of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What the Father is like is what you see in me. I'm the exact representation, the imprint, as it were, of the Father. Hebrews 1. So, this is our God that we worship. Him alone is worthy and deserving of worship. He alone is to be worshipped. Jehovah. So David speaks this to his soul. And he says, notice, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. How is it that all that I'm capable of, that I'm to bless the name of God? Well, this, this takes some thought too, doesn't it? Because with all my energy, and as you get aging, and as we go on in life, it seems like your energy starts to get sapped. So I've got to then focus my mind on the truth that the highlight of my life is the gathering together of the people of God for corporate worship to honor and glorify the God who has bought me. 
So that means I am not going to be able to waste my energy on things of, of lesser value. I didn't say they're of no value, of lesser value. And I can, if I do that, I'm not prepared then to worship with all that is within me. If you think, beloved, that you can go out on Saturday night and stay out till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning and come here on the Lord's Day and worship the Lord with all that is in you, with all your strength, you're deceiving yourself. Because if you normally sit up in the front, you'll be sitting in the back so you can fall asleep. After all, you'll say, well, he's nearsighted. He can't see me. It's irrelevant whether I can see you. We ought to be concerned with the God in whom we call our God and the God that we worship. Bless His holy name. His name is sacred. It's interesting with the Masorites, when they wrote the Old Testament, they would write the word Jehovah. Before they wrote it, they would take a bath. They wouldn't even pronounce Yahweh with the consonants because they didn't know how to pronounce it. So they didn't want to violate that and bring condemnation to themselves. They were scrupulous about that. They would take a bath before they wrote His name. And they would come to it again. They would stop everything, take another bath. And that's understanding God's holiness. I, we don't understand that today. As a matter of fact, I'm certain there will be people that hear that and will say, wow, that's a waste of time. What do they do that for? Because we don't understand the holiness of God. Our casual act in worship demonstrates it. We don't understand that God is holy, holy, holy. And all who draw near to Him, He must be regarded as holy. You know when the Lord said that? He said that to Moses after Aaron's son uh, were, were stricken down uh, by, as they offered strange fire. Nadab and Abihu. And Aaron was angry. And he came before the Lord. And he came before Moses. And Moses said, you remember what the Lord said. Of all those that approach unto him, he must be regarded as holy. That means, beloved, you don't do your women will. You do what God has called you to do. And you regard it as holy worship, reverent worship, God-fearing worship, obedience to the King who has called you out of darkness. But we need to recover that in our day. How do we recover it? By getting into the Word of God. How do we get people into the Word of God? Pray that the Holy Spirit works in the heart. I mean, you can, I can give you knowledge, but I can't make you think. I can give you knowledge, but I can't make you wise. You know, it's the principle you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And that's a lot of people. They're hearers, and they're not doers. James says the ones that are deceiving themselves are the ones that hear and don't do. Good sermon. Well, so what? How's it change your life? How's it change the way you think? What are you going to change about tomorrow? What are you going to change about your behavior, your thought about the true and living God, your thought about worship? David calls himself to bless God's holy name. That, that's, as I spoke about gathering together for the Lord's Supper, and our minds often wander. 
Everything it seems in this world is geared to that, isn't it? Of causing our minds to wander away from the things of God. Calling us, beckoning us, come here, come there, look at this, look at that. Speak about this, speak about that, hear this, hear that, go here, go there. And then we have no time to cultivate. And so we've, this is the self-control of the mind now. This is the discipline of the mind. I have got to speak this truth to myself, lest I be those that drift away from the things of the Lord. David goes on and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. This blessing of adoration, of kneeling, of praise to the Lord, it's resultant of the benefits that he has received from the Lord. But it's not just that. Again, in the, the whole of Scripture... Uh, when you're looking at what's called the analogy of faith and Scripture interpreting Scripture, you find that we worship God not only for His benefits, but for who He is, for His character, as the holy God, as the merciful God, as the just God, as the gracious God, as the kind God, as the wise, omnipotent God. We worship God as He has revealed Himself in His very essence. That's humbling. Told you before, thinking upon the attributes of God is the greatest thinking that you can do. There is no better mind-expanding exercise than to think about the character of God, the attributes of God. There is nothing higher to think about. You realize that? There is nothing higher for us as human beings to indulge our minds with, but the person and the work of our God. That'll expand the way that you think. That'll bring clarity to the way that you think. God grants us wondrous benefits. And David lists them in verses 3 through 5. Notice what he does. Um, Let me say this. Forget not all his benefits. How often do we forget? You know, we can't will to forget. We forget things that we don't want to forget. And it's like we can't forget things that we want to forget. Because you can't will to forget. So what David is speaking here to himself about is truly meditation. Because the only way that you are going to not forget is to keep remembering. In the Old Covenant, there were stones... Of remembrance. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. We are to remember the work of Christ in the Lord's Supper. There are things which the Scripture calls us to remember. And so, if that's going to take place, we need to be a people of meditation. What does it mean to meditate? Eastern meditation is trying to empty your mind to come to nirvana. That's an impossibility. You cannot empty your mind. In meditation for the Christian is not emptying mind. It's filling mind. What are you filling your mind with? With the Word of God, the things of God. What does it mean? The, the Hebrew term hagah means to, to utter, to mutter, to speak, to talk to yourself. It's talking to yourself about the things of God. The New Testament uses the word as well, uh, logizomai. And it means to bring it up again or take inventory of. To see what you got. And to rehearse what you have. 
And this is what we are to be as the people of God. Rehearsing the benefits of God in our mind. This is a great strengthening to the soul. Beloved, listen to this. You have been forgiven of all of your sins if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in Christ, he has borne all your sins in his own body and soul on the cross. You bear them no more. You don't stand before the true and living God as one who is a wretched, sin-filled creature that is under his wrath. You stand before God now as one who is covered and clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. Even though I fall down daily, I'm robed in Christ. That's how I stand. That is a great encouragement to the soul as we fall short every day, isn't it? To remember and to reflect upon my righteousness is not my performance. My righteousness before a holy God is Christ. So I keep on looking unto Jesus. He is my hope, my joy, my crown, my rejoicing, my all in all. He is my satisfaction. He is my holiness, my righteousness. He is my God, my King, my Savior. He is my redemption. That strengthens me as I fall short daily in thought, word, and deed. And to recognize I don't have to pull myself up and try harder and do better and to do more. I just keep on reflecting upon Christ and what He has done. And as I am looking unto Him, beloved, like Him I become. And change takes place in me, in my mind. Not by me trying more, doing better, trying harder. But by looking upon Him. The Holy Spirit makes the change within me as I'm gazing upon Him. It's wondrous. It's mysterious. But that's the fact that the Apostle Paul gives in 2 Corinthians 3. Don't forget God's benefits. Don't forget you're a forgiven people. He has forgiven you all of your iniquities. When John says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is speaking to the people of God. He's talking about a relational sense. We are already in union with God through Jesus Christ. And as we fall short, we come to Him in a relational sense, confessing our sins. We're not asking for the redemption of our souls. We have that. We're keeping short accounts with the God who has redeemed us. So God forgives all of our iniquities and He heals all of our diseases. Now there's an error on both sides. He's only speaking about spiritual. He's only speaking about physical. He's speaking about both. He heals us spiritually in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who bore our infirmities. And so there is provided in the atonement the healing of the body. And many of us have experienced that. That God blesses even medication to provide healing for us. And ultimately in the resurrection. What a day that will be, won't it? When this mortal puts on immortality, when this corruptible here puts on incorruption, when death is swallowed up in life, what a day that will be. He is the one as a benefit that heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. That's where you and I were. Are you trusting in Christ this morning? Do you know? Do you confess? 
That you have broken all of the commandments of God and kept none of them? Do you confess with the word of God that the wages of your sin is death, both temporal and eternal? Do you confess that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life? And no one comes to the Father but by Him? Do you confess that there is no other salvation given under heaven among men by which we must be saved? There is no other name but Jesus? Do you confess that He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And as He said, Come unto Me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you confess that? Then He's redeemed your life from destruction. Because apart from that, beloved, we are on the broad road that leads to destruction. Apart from the salvation in Jesus Christ, we are condemned. We are under the wrath of God. You may be a church member. And you may be on the broad road that leads to destruction. Run to Jesus. Look on to the Lord Jesus. Cry out to the Lord Jesus. He is ready, willing, and able to save all who come to Him by faith. He redeems, ransoms our life. How does He do that? By His own work. Because He bore the punishment due to the souls of His people. He redeems us from this destruction. And He crowns us instead with loving kindness and tender mercies. This is God looking upon us as the people of God, His redeemed possession, and filling us, providing for us, lavishing upon us tender mercies and loving kindness. We, me, who deserve the wrath of God, He gives the loving kindness. I deserve the punishment of God. I deserve my life to be squashed out, and God here gives me tender mercies. He doesn't give me what is due. When God gives us grace, which is to give us Christ, He gives us what we don't deserve. Grace deals with my guilt. When God gives us mercy, He gives us what we don't deserve, what we haven't earned. He doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve the punishment. We deserve His wrath. But He withholds that from us. God's tender mercies. Even now as a believer, we experience God's tender mercies all the time. Beloved, the more that you're in this teaching of God's Word, the more the Holy Spirit is filling you, the more you're going to be in tune with the things of God. And when you recognize, uh, it's one thing to say that God providentially rules over all things. It's a whole nother animal to think about this. That experientially, we're experiencing the things of God at this particular moment. I, I had an appointment I had to make. And I knew it wasn't going to be last week. I knew the place that I was going. I knew that they're, they're always booked. And I only had one opening. And so I called them up and I said, I need to make an appointment. And the lady was pretty terse on the phone. We don't have anything this week. I understood that. And it's not going to be nothing earlier next week either. <laughs> okay. I only had Thursday at 10.30 open. And she says, okay, I got your time down. It's Thursday at 10.30. And I recognized an extraordinary providence 
that God had just brought that together in front of me. I mean, of all the days and times, it was exactly, exact date, exact time. That is extraordinary providence. God has pulled back a little bit of the veil. I could, I could see it. And I knew it immediately to be the hand of God. I just smiled. And then I laughed. And I immediately told Maria. This is fantastic. The Lord was looking upon me. in just this little thing. But it's the little things, isn't it? It's seeing the extraordinary work of God in the little natural events of life. We miss it. We miss it because we don't cultivate God's word. And that his hand of providence is ruling all things for his glory and for the good of his people. Beloved, I've, I've, I've called you again and again and again to be a people that are in the Word of God. It will revolutionize your life. It will motivate you. It will stir you up. It will revive you again. It will speak to your heart. It will cause you to desire the things of God more. It will give you a hunger and a thirst. You'll know what's important. This life is fleeting. We are but dust. We are vapor. Talking to somebody this morning, and they said, you know, it can happen uh, pretty fast. It, it happens quickly. It happens when you least expect it. You're going along in your day, and it's one glance at your phone, and the next thing you know, you've crossed the center line, and somebody smashes head on with you. Falling asleep while you're driving. Somebody running a red light or a stop sign. A virus coming in, getting into your body, and then just choking out your lungs so you can't breathe and you die. It happens like that. This is what is important. The things of God, the things of earth are growing dim. And if you're stock and everything is placed in that, you'll be like that man who tore down his barns to build bigger barns to take his ease. And Jesus said, you fool. This light, your life will be required of you. And then, who will those possessions be that you just work so hard and long so hard after? To Solomon's lament was, who's the fool that's going to get all the things that I've amassed? Somebody. You've been to the swap meets. You've been to the Goodwills. And you've found in there things that kids have collected from their parents when they died and took to the Goodwill. Stuff, Because you don't leave here with any of it. The word of God will cause you to reflect on that. God is the one who satisfies us with good things. Have your money. Chase after your money. Chase after the material things. It's going to rust. Thieves are going to steal. The moths are going to eat it. I told you before I had a leather jacket once and Hadn't worn it for a number of years. I went and opened up my closet and it had little holes on the inside of it. The moths had got in there and eaten it. Well, who wants it then? Then we, we refer to it as just junk. Give it to the goodwill. Spend so much money for it and you're giving it away in the end. That's what happens with all the earthly things that we so strive after. That we so covet. And yet God gives us good things. First and foremost, the riches of his word. The benefits that he supplies us with to know that I am one who is forgiven. Even though I fall down continually. That I am forgiven because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. He is the one that renews us like the eagles. 
He gives us strength to soar. He gives us strength to worship. He gives us strength to honor. He gives us strength to serve Him. And that's our life, beloved. Worship and service. And what you serve is what you worship. And what you worship is what you serve. You cannot separate serving and worship. They are the two sides of the same coin. We are to worship the true and living God. And as we do, we will serve Him. Beloved, we must be people that reflect. We must be people that continue to utter and to mutter and to speak and to talk to ourselves the things of God. This will cultivate, this will revive the church. It's not going to be by a program. It's not going to be by human ingenuity or mechanisms. It is only going to be by the Spirit working through the Word. That's why Paul told Timothy, preach the Word. Speak to yourself, bless the Lord, and don't forget his benefits. They will strengthen the, the, the soul in worship and adoration of the God who has redeemed us. Amen. Shall we?